Welcome back, everybody. COVID gave us a slight momentary, uh, what should I say, reprieve from these recordings, but we're back. Thank you so much for coming and listening. Got a very exciting uh, uh, person on the podcast today. Uh, really good colleague of mine. And we're just going to go right off the jump. I'm not even going to tell you who it is. We're just going to start right off the jump. All right, Frank Lapel. Top Mahler Symphony. Oh, God. I don't know. I asked the hard-hitting questions, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. Like, I would go with um, Schnitke Symphony Number One. Really? Yeah, crazy stuff. Very interesting choice. (laughs) I don't think I even know that work almost at all. It's crazy. Schnitke, yeah. Yeah. Was that some kind of uh, like Polish or Russian? Russian Russian dude. Fantastic. It's like I love him. All right. I love him. Uh, What about um, if you could only play? No, no, that, that's that's the easy one. If you could only listen to Mahler or Strauss, ooh, and which which is your favorite work by each? Oh, uh, very difficult, man. Very difficult because you are getting into the <laughs> German <laughs> German dudes, and no, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of them. No, no. Interesting. No. Well, now we've got tension. This is going to be a good conversation. <laughs> do Do you have any? If you had to pick one or the other. Mahler. Mahler. Yeah. Okay. Do you do you like any of Strauss's stuff, or it just doesn't speak to you? At least not yet. Yeah, yeah. Not it's yet. just because you've had to play that Don Juan intro, and it makes you like carve your <laughs> exactly. freaking ears off. Exactly. Dude, I, I love that. It's a big excerpt for everybody. Oh my god, man. There's something for me about... Str- I love German music. I love Strauss and Mahler. If you ask me that question, I don't know if I could answer it. It's... Strauss's music is so hard and it's so to me it is so outrageously it is an act of love to play Strauss because it is so hard but it it gives you the love back because when you play it and everybody plays it correctly hopefully (laughs) or something approximately correct right I mean it's amazing because it's so rich and gorgeous and man you listen to Don Juan and you don't get chills and you're dead, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. I got. I like. Um, I'm a big fan of Mahler too, and okay. I like. Uh, I did a, a, a essay on him in my undergrad, and I really liked one of his quotes, which is that we've kind of talked about this earlier today, actually. But but he says, you know, with my music specifically, not only can you adjust it should a acoustic or a setting demand it, but it is your duty. To address my music and to manage it in a way that is going to give the best performance to the audience. Isn't that the most beautiful approach? It is beautiful, yeah. And it makes sense. The guy, I mean, the guy was a conductor, composition guy. Yeah. So cool. Uh, If you had to pick one era of music to do a series of three recitals. Now, I think I've kind of, I think I might have an idea because you're playing a recital soon. Yes, yeah. Um... You will be surprised, but I'm I I love Baroque stuff, mm-hmm. like playing in a Baroque yeah. setting, huh? of course. Baroque violin. Um, but I will go with contemporary. Interesting, man. Very interesting. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you got now we've got man. This is this is a hot start. Here we go. You got three recitals. You have to do three different ensemble settings. Okay. What are the three ensemble settings? For each recital 
God. Uh, and why? <laughs> <laughs> Show your work. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, I will first, I think I would start with the Baroque stuff. So maybe some kind of um, like Lully style orchestra. Oh. So a lot of violins, actually a lot of oboes, oboes and yeah. uh, a lot of uh, instruments. Mm. Okay, that, that's one. Okay, we got one. Because I, I love Baroque, I told Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And Lully's, you can't really uh, miss. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, contemporary stuff. Yes, I would love to play this piece by uh, Fernihoff. Uh, for violin and, and a small ensemble, I think it's a string ensemble, mm -hmm. Interram something, something in Latin. Cool. Uh, very difficult, as all pieces by this uh, composer that is like in this um, field or I don't know how they call it, style of new complexity. Uh, well, you can spend all your life just trying to play one of his pieces, but I would love to try. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be one. And for the third one, whew, I will go with, yeah, I will go with string quartet and playing some Mexican stuff like Manuel Enriquez. Manuel Enriquez is one of my favorite composers from Mexico, mm -hmm. and he is a... Uh, again, an extraordinary, he was an extraordinary violinist and also a composer in all genders. Wow. Symphonic stuff, chamber music, electronic stuff. Wow. Uh, aleatory music. He was, he was very, he was amazing. So I, maybe something like that. That's cool, man. That is very cool. All right. Give the people what they want. Tell, tell me, tell them who we're talking to here. Who are you, man? Uh, Where are you from? Give me the goods. Yeah, well, I'm Frangel Lopez. So that from, was fast. I'm from Mexico. I was born in La Paz, Baja California Sur. It's a small city close to Los Cabos. Uh, I'm sure that some, some of you will know where is Los Cabos. It's a party place. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the spring bre breakers go there. Spring break. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but well, I started my musical education when I was nine. I remember uh, those days. I was very happy. I was not very interested in violin and music, really? but somehow everybody started to say that I had some talent. Yeah. <laughs> I just continue. But honestly, I, well, I still hate to practice. <laughs> I mean, those years. Oh, I didn't. I love that you're all. honest, man. I love that you're honest. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's a true. Um, and then I was able to go and study my bachelor's in Mexico City, which you you would imagine, of course, it's a massive place. It's a massive city, and you you can get in contact with wonderful people, like mm -hmm. very nice um, musicians. And that's what happened. I, I studied there five years. Uh, and then I pursue my dream of studying outside, uh, outside of Mexico. And I went to Colorado. 
Colorado State. I did my master's there. Very nice. Uh, uh, I was very happy, but very broke. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful program, wonderful city. I studied in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, wonderful state. Marijuana is legal, was legal. and Bless, bless the Lord. Oh, yes, yes. And then I moved to Canada uh, to start my DMA at Western University. Yeah. And well, I'm here. Here we are. Now you're doing a podcast with some idiot who wants to talk to you about music, asking oh, yeah. all these crazy questions. Thank oh, yeah. you. Thank you again for coming on, man. Uh, I mean, thank you for your invitation. Yeah. Oh well, I, you know, I'm always so thankful for people to come on and, and and converse with me and for these people who are going to listen because, you know, time is valuable. So time is maybe the most valuable resource and where you allocate your time shows your priorities. And clearly you care about music, you care about talking about it. And well, I think we like each other. We're, yeah. You know, so it works out well for the two of us, but still, man, like you could be, whether you hate it or not, at home practicing, you could be at home <laughs> drinking your woes away from COVID, whatever it is, whatever the selection of the day is, you know, man, maybe I'm giving too much insight on myself here, but <laughs> let's go back to Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So, so before you even got to undergrad, man, you talked, you said you started at nine years old and people said, this kid's got it. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but he's got it. Yeah. Uh, where were you playing? Like, who were you studying with? Yeah, I studied with a, a very nice teacher, Luis Pelaez. Um, he had this talent to identify um, the perfect instrument for a kid. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That so is dumb. He was able to see to see the kid and read something in them and realize, oh, this guy is good for violin. This guy is good for oboe. This guy is a pianist. Very cool. So Poor kid who got the oboe. <laughs> he had no idea what he was in for. Sorry, keep going. And, and well... Uh, I started violin. I remember the first class, he looked at my hands and he said, okay, I think you're good. And then he realized that I, I was uh, left-handed. Yeah. And he got a little concerned, right? Because in, in violin, there's some kind of... It, it is important to know if you're left-handed or right-handed. Yeah. So he had to call his professor in Mexico City to ask for an advice, like, mm -hmm. I have this kid, is left-handed, what should I do? Should I move the strings and whatever? And the teacher told him, oh no, no, Luis, it's a blessing to have a left-handed student. Wow. So he didn't change anything. He yeah. taught me as, a, whatever, yeah. as a right-handed guy. And... I, well, I, I don't want to brag. No, at come all, on. You, it, this this podcast but, is about you, man. We're talking about you. <laughs> you know, they don't have to believe you. <laughs> well, of course, of course. But but yeah, everything has started to work out very well. Sometimes I'm afraid of my life because I have I have had a lot of good luck. Yeah, of course. And and in the beginning, when I was a kid, I started to advance in my technique or yeah, whatever yeah, musicianship yeah. Uh, pretty easily yeah and everybody was always asking my mom uh, Linda um, Linda how many hours does Frankel practice and my mom said 
Uh, well, sometimes he's like 20 minutes or 15 minutes. <laughs> and everybody thought that my mom was lying. Yeah, yeah. Right? But no, she was saying the truth. Yeah. I never practiced that much. Mm-hmm. It was some kind of natural thing. Interesting. In, yeah, in me. I, with the years, you know, when you get older, like teen, teen age, yeah. you started to practice more. Of and, course. And you concentrate more. But yeah, I never like spend hours and hours practicing yeah. my violin. That's interesting, man. I, you know, I think a lot of musicians do have a similar story. Like, yeah. I know for me, like, I, I didn't play violin, I didn't play oboe back then. I played guitar, and I played a little piano. And my piano teacher would get fucking irate, so upset with me, because I, she'd be like, how much do you practice? I'm like, oh, I, I practiced, I practiced. But I really only practiced, like, one day for 40 minutes maximum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolute tippy-top. Sometimes I didn't practice at all. And I'd always come in... Slightly better than last week. Uh-huh. But when she finally got wise to the fact that I wasn't practicing, she was this really nice Russian lady. Oh. A very strict Russian lady. Of she course. would just scream, man. She would scream, why are you not practicing? Blah, blah, blah. And she'd get pissed off. She finally like, kicked me out. She's like, no, if he's not going to practice, he can't keep coming to lessons. This is ridiculous. Oh. I don't know if she kicked me out or my mom and her made the decision. But, but same for me, like with guitar and with piano. Not that I'm a pianist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it just kind of, some people, we're lucky, it connects easy to us. Now, for you, did you, were you, was your mind wandering around the fretboard when you were sitting around, or you weren't even thinking about it? It was just when you practiced that, that you were a violinist. Uh, I don't know. Um, I have to say that I always improvise stuff. Mm. Uh, when I take my violin, I play whatever I want but I'm not saying that choosing my favorite repertoire and stuff no 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 yeah. I'm like moving my hands and experimenting yeah. with the sound and just enjoying playing that was mostly the practice that I did yeah. when I was young maybe it's still now <laughs> I, I like to just enjoy playing yeah me too um, I don't know that's that's interesting though you know I wonder if there is a connection between simply becoming proficient you know we were talking about like language earlier we were talking about how like you know when you begin to speak with somebody you have an idea of how they're going to use the words but until you really develop a rapport with them you don't understand how they're manipulating the vernacular for themselves right and I wonder if as a child you need to develop a like movement vernacular of the instrument like if there is almost like a level of experimentation that will expediate the the process of becoming proficient i wonder i don't know totally making that up (laughs) i know i know but i could say that since i started i i was like uh, very interested on violinist Mm -hmm. so i i look at a professional violinist you know there was those days when when the internet thing it started to be a thing yeah, right yeah yeah the beginning of the 2000s at least in mexico I don't know, mm-hmm. i'm not sure here but i think it was about the same for okay for us here, excellent yeah. excellent so uh, there was some pages uh not youtube it was something else yeah. that applaud applaud uh videos of one of my heroes uh maxim benguerov oh very nice oh. uh so 
I look at him and I I was just flabbergasted by his abilities yeah. and his showmanship and, and the, the sound and the techniques and I was just always, I was always how he does that what piece is it is he playing and I was always looking into that and trying to imitate that yeah and through through that encounters through that uh, experiment experimentation I think I was able to develop that uh, vernacular that yeah. uh, techniques that abilities I didn't play any any big piece anything until I was like 17 years old very cool everything before was just small pieces random pieces for recitals and an orchestra yeah I always played in, in an orchestra that's huge very typical to to the system El Sistema Oh, that's Venezuela. the summer? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Same idea. Yeah. Same concepts. Man, what an amazing program. And and I'm just one of the results, you know, yeah. of, of those approaches. So again, I don't have this background of a, a, a prodigy, a yeah, virtuoso yeah. kid that yeah. played a lot of concerti, yeah. a lot of pieces. Not at all. Yeah. Just <laughs> very easy arrangements of the masterpieces for symphony orchestra of course <laughs> that's all that's all and you it, know there's something to that though you know a lot of people when they get to undergrad even in masters some people i mean you go back to doing the little things you go back to doing the little musical ideas and 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 you keep going back to that because that's really the building blocks and if you've built a base for that which El Sistema does, and I love that program. I've yeah. had some colleagues who've gone and taught out in New Brunswick and stuff like that. And it's an amazing, amazing program. And I think that as a base is such a boost it is. for a lot of musicians because everyone wants to go play I don't know, the Brook or, yeah. or the Barber or, or, or I don't know violin repertoire to say what's hard. Uh, uh, Mendelssohn? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, but I think that is really amazing, Elsa's Stone program, what they do, and, and how your experience was, which really, you know, I was listening to a Mike Rowe TED Talk. You know Mike Rowe? Guy from Dirty Jobs on Discovery Channel. He's an interesting oh, guy. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's got this quote in his TED Talk where he goes, you know, everyone talks about working for your passion. Yeah. And that's, that's great. And if you can make that work, good for you. And it's like, but I've seen so many people follow their passions through a job and just end up hating it. Oh, yeah. And he goes, but, and he did this job where he would go all around the country of the States and do these crappy jobs and these people were super happy. And he's like, and those people who are not working their passion are super happy people. Wow. And he's like, wow. but they all bring their passion with them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think that idea of bringing your passion with you I don't know. I think there's a huge value in that. And if, if you bring your passion with you, regardless of whether you're following it or not, I mean, and what I mean by that is like the joy of playing the instrument, the joy of, like you said, exploring your instrument, the joy of exploring sound, mm-hmm. and which we're so lucky, man. We're oh, in yeah. school for music. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. But, but it, it really, I mean, I, th- I think that's an amazing quote, the idea of bringing your passion with you, no matter where you are no matter what you're doing and it's not always easy but super cool oh yeah, yeah. so you did you did this in Mexico and then Mexico City you did your undergrad yes so you move out to Mexico City is that far from your home um yep it, I mean 
It's two hours uh, flight. It's oh, a wow. two hours flight. So okay. it's a little far. Yeah. Uh, and driving is just impossible. It's a long. It's yeah. extremely long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, is, is there good infrastructure getting from where you live to Mexico City as far as driving? Like the roads and stuff? Yeah. I don't, I, I've never been to Mexico. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I, I know I know they have really decent infrastructure, but I know as you get further out from Mexico City, it's my thought from what I've learned that it becomes a little bit more um, piecemeal as far as the construction level. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong to accept the, you know, how Mexico is... It's still a, a country with a lot of problems, yeah, right? As always. Yeah, yeah, and and yes, we have good infrastructure. We have uh, nice highways. We have stuff, but there are some states with more problems than others, right? Of course. Um, I think it's it's safe to drive from my place <laughs> to Mexico City, but it's just very far and. Mm -hmm. I think it's better to just fight. Totally, man. Yeah, yeah. totally, man. Very fair. Yeah, yeah. So you get at Mexico, you get to Mexico City. You're just living in an apartment or something like that in Mexico City. As I told you, I've been very lucky all my life. Yeah. So a a very very good friend of my family, like thirty years friendship, um, uh, he just almost allowed me to, to be in, in one of, of his buildings, um, in one room of their buildings. So I was able to just live there wow. uh, for those five years, because it takes you five years to finish a, a, a bachelor's in Mexico, yeah. at least in music. Yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. by the way. Yeah. It could be all your life. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, if you're lucky, you can finish in five years. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Why is that? What's the difference in the in the uh, the program? Uh, administrative stuff, mm. bureaucratic stuff. That's very very slow you. and complicated, and well, it's a horrible topic. But yeah, you need at least five years yeah. of your life. Enough said. I understand. Yeah, and and that was a good time for you. More music making, higher level music making. You feel like you're growing as a musician. Yeah, I think that was the place where I. I actually grow amazingly, uh, like more. I started with Cuauhtémoc Rivera, which probably is one of the most important violinists uh, from uh, Mexico. He studied in the Moscow Conservatory, Tchaikovsky wow. Conservatory. Yeah. So he's a, he's an amazing violinist. He he always uh, taught me uh, not just violin. You know, you know that kind of story. Yeah, of course. It's not about violin. It's like about something else. Yeah, right? it's about being a musician. It's about being almost a human a being, person. a person. Yeah. With there's something about undergrad teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you're so formative. It's such a formative portion of your life. Oh yes, oh yes, and and I learned a lot about him, with him, and uh, and with other people in in the same you know in the same program. Yeah. I studied in uh, Escuela Superior de Música, like the Superior School of Music. Wow. Uh, it's a name. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just yeah, a name. It's I just a name. It's just it, a yeah. name. But, it's like um, putting conservatory at the end of something. It's, it's posh now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and there's all their schools. 
yeah. important schools. There are like four important schools mm -hmm. just in Mexico City, and you can study in any of them, and of it's course. fine. It's fine. Um, but I was able to to watch a lot of concerts, a lot of recitals of important people in Mexico yeah. City. I was able to meet my hero, to meet Maxim Beguero wow. twice. That's so cool. And in those two times, I was able to talk to him and and said him. You're my hero. Since yeah. I was a kid, you are my hero. Wow, that's so and, cool, and man. Yeah, yeah. A lot of beautiful experiences like that. As I told you, Mexico City is a... Wow. And, and is, I want to compare it like New York. You yeah. See? With, of course, with the respect to New yeah, York, right? Yeah. But, what about Toronto? What about respect to Toronto? Because we know, I mean, a lot of... Most people listening are Canadian. Oh, uh, what, okay. what what's the difference in, in relation to Toronto? Is it similar? Is it different? It's it's it is similar. Uh, uh, maybe Toronto is a little bit more organized. Okay. <laughs> and clean. Uh oh. But but Mexico City is just big, massive, big, massive. Is all the metropolitan area is like twenty two million. Wow. So. That's the difference. That's a different. That's a different. It's a different ball game. Very cool. Man. Have you listened to Maxim since live since you were in your undergrad? No. 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 Sadly, no. So before we get to your master's degree, and I want to know why it was your dream to study abroad, but what changed? Because this is you know this podcast is about music and it's about listening to music. What to listen for, right? Uh, what changed in your listening? from undergrad to master's when you started your undergrad until where you started your master's what changed wow i think i get okay maybe that's the answer of my the first answers that i gave you before i started to get used to to baroque stuff yeah but playing in a baroque way you see i i was able to meet very fine baroque players professional baroque players in mexico city uh, there's some there's a couple of ensembles that are specialized mm -hmm. in that topic and I took some uh, lessons with some of them so I get used to that and also I was a good friend all the time with the composers of my Me too, uh, of my school yeah or or any any school and when you get along with composers you started to open your ears I think so that friendship with with some uh, composers, young composers, uh, allowed me to actually listen to the contemporary stuff out there that is they could be very wild. Yeah, absolutely. Or abstract, or whatever you want to call it, but it's still an opportunity to experience something different. Totally. So yeah, I think I I got interested on listening to baroque performance and contemporary music with my experience in Mexico City as an undergraduate student. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool, man. So you get you end up finishing your degree there and you go to you go you go to uh, Colorado, which is so cool. I mean, Colorado is like it's the hippie state. I yeah. love it, man. I, I love the idea of it. I've never been there. Why did you want to study abroad? And why did you pick America first? Yeah. Um, all Mexicans, all musicians I can tell you, they have the dream of studying abroad. It's a dream. Why? Because there's simply because there's no options to do like 
graduate studies in Mexico. Yeah. I hope my friends in, in UNAM, which is the most important university yeah. in Mexico, UNAM, um, they don't get mad yeah. of what I'm saying right now. But I'm sure that they will be the first to accept that there's still a lot of work to do in terms yeah. of graduate studies in music in Mexico. So there's no room for players. You could study musicology, ethnomusicology, and other uh, topics in Mexico City and focus on Mexican music. Yeah, of course. Which is a big topic. Yeah, rich. Absolutely. Uh, but if you're a performer, uh, there's no programs for you yet, at mm -hmm. least. So you need to move into or uh, fulfill the ancient dream of going to Europe. Yes. And and, and truly ancient dream. Yeah. <laughs> experience the culture and whatever. Or you go to the States. Mm -hmm. Or Canada, of course. Yeah, of course. But generally it's the States, the, the first place. Uh, as I started, I'm very lucky. <laughs> very lucky. I had my, my godfather lived, uh, or lives actually, Mark lives in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. Cool. So I was able to live with him during my wow, master's. <laughs> you see, that was one, one thing. Very lucky. My family lived in Fort Collins in the 90s before I was born because my father was studying a, a PhD in science in... Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something complicated. Go down. Well, complicated for me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he we, loves we can him. barely count to five, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that is the story. So there was a connection between my family uh, and my sister who lived there uh, as a young kid, like I think from four to ten or four to nine something like that and they were extremely happy in Colorado wow it's a part that I always used to hear yeah they talk about Colorado and the snow yeah and the weather and uh, everything was fantastic and beautiful and it was just like a it was just like mythology for me. Yes, like yeah, yeah, Stuff yeah, that they yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. and I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so it, it was part of, of something that I had to do to experience what they experienced in the 90s. So I went there and the violin teacher, uh, Dr. Francois, Ronald Francois, who was a guy that, uh, a Canadian, by the way. Oh, wow. Canadian violinist from Montreal. Uh fantastic fantastic person probably the most knowledgeable violinist that I ever encountered wow. he was able to just talk about uh, treatises in violin playing and wow. you, you could practice this because that teacher in that book said the blah 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 wow that's so crazy yeah amazing amazing and a beautiful person beautiful person beautiful human being and well I was I was very happy and lucky again and i i have the like hinge like i yeah. need to to go there and study and experience the colorado and life you see yeah man so yeah that was a reason that is the story that's super cool so in your master's degree similar to what i asked in your undergrad 
as you shifted, you have this amazing person teaching you new, new life, new world, which I mean, is a whole nother conversation about the shift of living in Colorado as opposed to, to Mexico. Yeah. Um, what changed in, what happened to your ears, man? I always like the idea of like, how big are your ears? Like that, that saying is like, you got to grow your ears as you develop as a player. Yeah. I think I refined more my playing. I think that is... What do you mean by that? I, I think I was able to recognize smaller details, you know? Yes. In my... Well, talking about merely on technique, I was able to recognize, like, small problems that I could resolve. And thanks to Dr. Francois, I was able to know how to resolve them. Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need to practice this in this way and whatever. But... I think I, I should mention that I was also able, thanks to my masters, I was able to realize all this other world, which is music research, mm -hmm. you see, and how can I apply that music research or that research that I'm doing into my playing or whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and yeah, so thanks to those classes like methods of music research and boring stuff like that right uh, I think that helped me a lot to actually improve my musicianship I see mm -hmm. so in terms of hearing hearing like better I'm not sure but in terms of like maybe reading and knowing where to find answers yeah, that was that helped me, my masters. I would argue that that's part of here. Okay, okay, great. I personally would because okay, you know, hmm, how should I put this? Do you ever talk to somebody who's really into boxing? No. Or like you're into martial arts of some kind? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so and you, like maybe maybe they watch the UFC. You know, they may they may know exactly how that guy's throwing a punch, how that guy's throwing a kick. But it's, it's the background of the person that teaches them about who they're going to bet on a lot of the time. And I think it's not so different in music. I think really when it comes down to what we're doing is we're trying to communicate from player to player, from player to audience, maybe even audience to player in some cases, mm -hmm. hopefully all the time. <laughs> uh, and um, I don't know. I think, I think the music research from my experience, like right now I'm taking at Western Masters Music Research course. Yep. And um, I've always done research. It's always been important to me to have not like a story to play the music in. I think that's a little hoity-toity. But to have an idea of who wrote this, oh, when yeah. they wrote it, how they wrote it. And to me, that informs my ear. Much in the same way as if I was going to go fight Mike Tyson, which, oh my God, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> but if I were, I would, I would watch his game tapes. I would do the research. I would understand who it is I'm going into that ring with. And he's going to charge me like a bull. And hopefully, if I can, I'm not going to, but if I can stay away from the punches long enough, I can wear them out. Uh -huh. And I think it's not so different in music. I think as we begin to learn research and how to research and where to research and why to research and how to, because like I said, time is the most valuable resource. You can practice as long as you want, but if you're not careful about what, how you're practicing, you're not going to be able to perform as well. Yeah. And I think it's the same with the research. If you know, for example, like Mahler, if you're playing a Mahler symphony and you're the conductor and the horns do not sound good, they're too quiet and you ask them to play more and they go, it's a piano and you go, you know what? 
Mahler says it's our duty. You play a damn forte, okay? Now play a forte. I mean, those are the things that change your ear because it gives you the footing to stand on to make choices as a performer. You know? Yeah. I would argue that's a part of the ear. I think you're right, man. I think you're right. You put it in a beautiful way, and I think it's it's true. It's true. Of course. Mm-hmm. Thank you, man. Well, uh, now that we're done uh, uh, playing with each other here. Uh, yeah, no. I... I I do want to know about the shift from moving from Mexico to to to, to Colorado. Tell me about that, <laughs> and then and then what it was like to come to Canada. Oh God, uh, it's horrible, man. <laughs> it's just horrible. Moving, first of all, moving is just painful, so stressful. And moving to another country, <laughs> and I think I I'm sure you you would know already, but. Uh, the relationship with between Mexico and the States is just horrible. It's very tense. It's of course, of yeah. course. I mean, we're the beaners and the taco heads, you see, and the, those Yankees always <laughs> treat us horribly. But they will eat your food till the end of the earth. My God, oh, yeah. they, they love Mexican food. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. I'm just teasing. I'm I just know, teasing. And, and you know, I had, I had, and I have beautiful friends most human people in the world and they're american yeah so it's not it's not against american people you see it's it's like the system or whatever you want to call it i understand but yeah 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 and um so as a mexican and trying to study in the states and me it me i can tell you honestly i'm not a rich guy I have no family in the police. It's not true. He's wearing gold chains and diamonds. Right <laughs> He's flossing. He's eating caviar. I'm just eating. But I think it's it's true, man. I come from a very normal family. Nothing extremely special in terms of money. Terms yeah. Of, of course, my family is special, yes, of right? Course. But, yeah. but Linda's uh, special. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah Linda. And um, but well. Uh, it's just horrible. A lot of papers that you need to send, and you are always like praying that everything will work yeah. at the end. And you need to do the TOEFL. If you don't know what is the TOEFL, is that horrible exam, English exam, yeah, which is one of the most stressful th- things that you can do ever. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your English is very good, though. Is it written? Oh, as it was challenging when you started. Everything is difficult, man. No, yeah. no, no. Maybe right now, after like four years, like living in yeah. a speaking country, I'm yeah. a little better with my speaking and, and understanding as yeah. well. But oh, it's just very stressful. Very stressful. And, uh, whew. And let me tell you something. If if you tell your peers or your colleagues or even your teachers that, oh, I want to do a master's degree in the States, mm. they will feel like, oh, why? You need to go to Europe, mm-hmm. right? That's better. That's where everything started. Don't go to the States. They're too American, right? They play in a very American way all the time, mm-hmm. which could be true could be true i understand their, their point but man going to europe it's it's also very tough it's not easy no it's expensive it's extremely far away you know 
Yeah. Let me tell you a, a, a very little story. Please, please. If, um, when you take those decisions, like where to study, you you need to always. It's not about money. It's not just about money or um, prestige or whatever. It's also about how's your family doing. If you go so far away, and you have your parents in like, and they're like, old. Yeah. You need to be careful of that decision, you know, because, of course, it's horrible, but it could happen. You know what I mean? Like, I do. if your parents die or whatever, it could happen, and you will be so far away with no money, and you you will not able to say that last goodbye or whatever. Yeah, of course. And you need to take in account that it, it's a big decision. So when I was in Colorado in 2018, Linda, my mom, died. Yeah. Oh, died. no, I'm sorry, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's almost three years in a couple of... On the 26th, by the way, of January, it's going to be three years. And that was very, very tough, you know. But I was able to go back to Mexico one week uh spending everything with actually with the with the help of my godfather yeah. mark he helped me in that moment he paid for that flight ticket you know that kind of flight yeah, ticket. Of like in the same day you buy it and you yeah, fly yeah the most stressful thing ever but well you have to do it and i was able to go back and be in the funeral in the service yes yeah and that's that is priceless you know if i were in, in finland or yeah. if i were in i don't know that's a different situation chinese in yeah. china yeah. oh no man it's gonna be very tough and a lot more expensive and well a lot yeah. of other problems but yeah just going that far away having such amazing universities in the states ah you just need to think about it absolutely you see? Man. You see? but well yeah uh, that's tough you know I, I I know very well what you're saying man I mean when I applied for grad school last year uh, my dad's very sick as I mentioned he's got yeah, dementia yeah, yeah. aphasia yeah, yeah. and he's not a young guy and my mom takes care of him and works a full time job oh, and it's a tough tough that's man it's almost impossible man. she yeah. is if there is if there are angels my mother is mm -hmm. certainly one man it's mm -hmm. unbelievable yeah and uh, you know when he was diagnosed with dementia, uh, was when I was going into my undergrad. Oh. And uh, I didn't go that far away from home. I was only like an hour or so away. But I didn't go home a lot. And I made that choice. It was because, like I said, like I, I would play a gig and then I, or a concert and I'd practice after. Like my mentality was such that I have to catch up. I don't have time. I cannot wait. Yeah. I am too old to wait. Yeah. And so, you know, summers I stayed and I practiced. You know, occasionally I'd get a gig and I worked like a dog. And, and I didn't spend a lot of time with my family. And by the time, you know, I was in a place to recognize the decision I'd made, my dad was gone. He didn't speak yeah. anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and that was the decision I made then. But it was very clear to me. Yeah. That was the decision I was, even when I was making it, I knew what I was doing. Uh -huh. But it was, that's a big decision. Oh, when yeah. you go to school, especially like we have older parents. Yeah. We know what that's, we know what that means. Yeah. You know, it's like when I applied to grad school, I didn't apply to the States. I'm glad, particularly now that COVID's on, that I didn't. I mean, I think we may be at the best place we could be. I think so, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the military. I'm a reservist in the military. And I'm in a band. And uh, I've seriously thought about applying to a full-time gig. It's a great gig. There are a couple of openings. 
and they don't open a lot. Yeah. But I haven't sent in my application because, well, my mom needs my help. And if I get posted in Edmonton, she's shit out of luck. You know what I mean? Yeah. I totally, totally understand what you're saying, man. It's a big, challenging oh, yeah. decision. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not one that I regret, you know? Mm-hmm. There's only, it's, those decisions I made back then are the reason that I am able to play gigs now. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like to come as a Mexican to the States. The racism involved in that, and, and not even just outwardly racism, but like just simply the, the underlying thoughts of the American public in relation uh, to Mexican people is one that is a little disappointing. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God, the typical thing is that Mexicans produce drugs, right? Yeah. Yeah, you seem like a big druggie. You must be just... <laughs> I, I, I will tell you something. I will tell you something. Never ever not even in Mexico City not even in, in La Paz well La Paz mm. is a very peaceful place mm. but well actually La Paz means the peace oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but yeah it, it it started to get uh, a little fishy some years ago but I think in general La Paz is is fine but not even in Mexico City I saw drug like look at the uh, marijuana mm-hmm. or cocaine cocaine yeah never here I saw that stuff here in the yes. in the first world in the first world you see in, yeah. in Colorado I saw a lot totally uh, and heroin and here as well some friends yeah um, it is rampant in this area that's interesting because yeah maybe possibly we see of course Mexicans and and Colombia and all our Latin American countries, my brothers, you see, uh, I know them. We are the same. We are the yeah. same. Uh, yeah. uh, of course, we ha- we are different in terms of laws, in terms of traditions and whatever, but it's the same thing. All those countries in South America and Central America, we are the same. But well, yes, we produce those drugs. But again, the Americans and you know what, man, and it, I think it comes largely down to propaganda. You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and absolutely. It, it really is. I don't. I don't want to get into it because I don't think. I don't think I have enough knowledge to. But you know, it's a big thing about Mexico. The these seem these same things that come up when people are you know anything close to anti-Mexican. It's about the cartels. Yeah, yeah. Which hey, yeah, is a cartel the best thing in the world? No, probably not. But. You know what, man? New York was, and probably still is, now in a slightly more legal way, completely run by the mafia at one time. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just know. watched a Netflix series called Fear City. Great, 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 great. But you're talking about the Genoveses and the Gambinos and the Cas- Casanata, whatever the hell their names are. I mean, these guys ran the workers' union. They ran the trucking union. They ran major, major business. And they controlled politics, arguably. You know, these things happen when you get large groups of people together, as in Mexico City, as in New York, as in L.A., as in anywhere where there's a lot of people. People are going to push for power. And unfortunately, we like to have an enemy. I think humans (laughs) like to have an enemy. Of course. I think that's really what it comes down to, the sad truth of it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, man. So so you, you get your master's done. Why'd you pick Western? 
Um, you wanted to be really cold all the time? What's, <laughs> what's the gig? Well, um, I think it was a little bit of, of a relationship with other Mexicans, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Francisco Barradas, um, Yolanda Tapia, they're very good friends of mine. Francisco is a violinist and Yolanda is a pianist. And they, they were also looking for, uh, let's say, other places to pursue a DMA, you see. I, I cannot, I don't want to say that I was, uh, it was because money, like I choose Canada because I was broke. It is more, it partially could be true, but I was also looking for other experiences. You know? Totally. And, and it's a different culture musically. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. It's different. I can tell you it's different. And, and I feel, this is completely true. I feel happier, you see, in, in, in knowing that I'm in Canada, like in another, another place, you mm-hmm. see, in like, I, I joke with this, maybe it's completely false, but in the Scandinavian, Scandinavian country of America, the yeah. continent, you see, uh, I think it's it's ama- amazing and beautiful, and people is just wonderful. It's like more human. It's like more natural, more balanced. You see. Yes. Uh, but again, don't get me wrong. I Colorado. Beautiful. There is beautiful, and the people is just amazing. Nothing to do with the yeah. normal stereotype of yeah. American people is. They're very open, very human. Yeah. people and and, and yeah, they like culture as well Colorado yeah. is is a beautiful place and I'm, I'm very happy to have to live to have lived there for two years uh, I'm very grateful for that but but again totally man I, I had to change and I, I I wanted to pursue a DMA which by the way maybe since I was in middle school I'm, I'm talking about like when I was 12 or 13 years old I already decided I want to be a doctor in wow. music good for you man that's amazing it was something that since I was a kid is the experience what you're expecting yes yes I, I the you know though that stroke of reality is always powerful you see uh, you have a dream you have a, a an idea of how everything will be and you have expectations. You see, that, oh, everything will be beautiful, and I will uh, uh, do my dream, and I will be happy. And then you re- you realize that it's not just like that. You see, you yeah. experienced other stuff, a lot of other stuff, and and still, I I feel proud of in a in a healthy way. You see, mm-hmm. I feel proud that okay, I'm pursuing my DMA, and I I still have one year and a half. And I hope to finish you know, on time and, and be done soon. But I know that once I finished, it's another level. Like, okay, I need to find a job. I yeah. need to big like, beautiful world out there. Man. Oh. It's scary. <laughs> it's, it's very scary and could be depressing. You see, absolutely. Like talking honestly, I, all my friends that are doing a DMA or just finished recently finished, like one year, two years um, ago. They're kind of depressed. I bet. You see, they're kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying now that I'm still, I still have one year and a half to, to to that moment. I'm kind of 
trying to learn or trying to see the life in other other ways. Yeah. So I'm not. I don't want to feel depressed. You see? I want to feel mentally prepared for the reality. You see? Absolutely. That Good for I'm, you. I'm not a student anymore, and I need to like be professional. It's it's amazing how many people come out of degrees, not even just masters, or not even just graduates, and are oh. depressed, or are upset, oh. or are concerned, or whatever it is. You know, like uh, I, one of my best friends, my best friend, he 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 did a master's degree. And it just didn't work out the way he expected. Yeah. And he's just wrecked. I mean, not really. He's he's working very hard right now, doing a lot of of, of creation and, and so on and so forth, managing COVID as best he can. But it's sad, you know. I think your approach is really wise to to go. Okay, I see what's happened to my colleagues. I don't want that to happen, so I need to take steps right now. And I, I think for anyone who's in a degree, like myself, undergrad student, someone who's going from high school to university, I mean, to look at it, people shit on five-year plans. Yeah. You know, people go like, why are you planning that far ahead at our age often? But the reason you plan that far ahead is because it's coming, whether you like it or not. It's not going anywhere. That five years will be that long regardless of whether you plan or you don't. And if you have an idea of what you might want to do now, by the time you get there, it will form into something probably more realistic and something that you might even have begun to attain yeah. by that point. So I think it's a really wise approach, man. Yeah. You know, I when I when coming back to one of the questions before, um, my colleagues, my friends, even teachers – Remember, they told me, why don't you go to Europe? Just go to Europe, man. It's better than, than the States. And I was thinking, well, but it depends what I want to do. Yeah. One thing is just go to Europe and spend some months or even years just um, ex experiencing life, you see. I didn't want that. I wanted to do a master's, you see. Very specific goal, like mm -hmm. academic goal. I'm, I'm not interested I'm just experiencing life and, and drinking wine in, in Paris mm -hmm. or, no no come on I wanted to do my my academic goals first and later maybe yeah, I will experience absolutely. something like that if I can pay for that yes right? yeah if you can afford it yeah. but uh, so I found that studying in the States was better in terms of time you said already that time is, is one of the most important things in life. I also think that, and I, and my father, Francisco, uh, he also uh, thinks that. So I always put time as the most valuable resource. Absolutely. And, and, and I thought, no, no, no. Music's degrees, well, any degree, but if you want to actually finish a doctorate degree, It's like a lot of it's years. Big, especially when you're looking at it from undergrad, let alone high school. <laughs> middle school for you, I mean. No, it's whew, a lot of years and, and then you will, you will finish. If, you, if you're lucky and hard worker, like I want to do everything in one step, you see. Yeah. So I started my bachelor's and I won't stop until I finish my DMA. It's, it's just crazy. But you will get into the 30s, right? Yeah. With no job and with 
no money. <laughs> just, oh, man, just, just yeah, like I me. Know. Just like me. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I will have a, a very nice degree or whatever. <laughs> but, man, I'm, I'm almost 30 and I don't have a job and I don't have nothing. That's part of the depression stuff that it is. All, everybody's experiencing. But it's fine. You need to, like, that's away and be patient with yourself. Be patient with the world. Yeah. This year is just horrible there's no openings as you said with the covid thing it's very tough it's very tough but as artists as musicians we need to still be uh creative somehow we need to survive and endure this process of mm -hmm. pandemic and then and, and try to find the ways the artistic ways to to continue be creative and produce music and learn about music and teach music even though the totally. world is right now it's kind of sad it <laughs> is man I think this is where you get to learn what your metal really is uh, how what you're really made of oh uh, yeah, yeah you know like and I, and I, I want to make it very clear I don't say this to say that if you go through COVID and you didn't practice once you didn't write anything that you're a bad person that is so not the truth at least not in my my view of it no, no. but for me this has been an immense and beautiful learning experience because I have had to figure out just how bad I want to do this, man. And frankly, I've gotten significantly better at my instrument through the pandemic. Now, the beginning of it, not as much. <laughs> yeah. Did I practice? Yeah. Was I doing super well? No. No, I wasn't practicing carefully. I wasn't making reads enough. Albeit, I was taking care of my sick dad. You know, yeah. that was my full-time gig. I was basically a PSW, so I gave myself a little slack. But, and I told you about this band that I'm in. It's called Good Group. We haven't even put anything out into the world yet. All my podcast listeners, trust me, you'll be bombarded once we do. Uh, <laughs> but that's been an amazing outlet for me. And just, you know, I picked my recital repertoire in August. Mm -hmm. I didn't start on all of it in August. But then I had something to work towards. And I'm lucky because I did have a program that I was in, which, man, oh my God. We had a whole semester of live music. Yeah. Distanced, albeit, but live music, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're one of the only schools in North America doing that. There's only two in Canada. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And, I mean, I feel, you, you say lucky. I feel the same way, man. I feel the same way. I feel like I've been lucky all the way along. <laughs> all the way along, man. Uh, from teachers who were very patient with some kid. I told you when, in the car ride over here, like, I couldn't read music when I got to school, basically. I could barely read rhythm. I could read pitch pretty well, but I couldn't read rhythm very well. I'd, I'd been a vocalist in my in my high school, and I sing, and I play guitar, and I play bass and stuff, but I, I couldn't really read treble clef. I certainly couldn't read the rhythm. And I had teachers who let let me hang myself in rehearse, in, in lessons, and then they'd take the noose off and be like, okay, we're going to try this again, and this is what we're going to do this week, right? And it's all those things that you learn that when COVID comes up, you have to, you have to, if you want to, when a challenge like this comes up, if you want to grow, try to keep pushing yourself, yeah. you have to dig into. Oh, yeah. You know, the number of times I've been practicing and I hear Dick Dorsey's amazing, amazing oboe player, fantastic man. He, I, he's basically my uncle at this point. I mean, <laughs> he's just the most amazing guy in the world. And uh, I hear him in my head. I hear him going... 
no, no, blow, 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 <laughs> right? Like, as I'm practicing, I'm like, I'm not supporting enough. Or, or I'm, I, I work through something and, and I'm just going too fast and the metronome's not even on and I'm like, and I just hear him going, I think you should practice this slower. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and it's, it's those little things. It's the discipline to actually do that. Yeah. yeah. Which I certainly don't always have. Frankly, let's be honest, man. Like, I'm no, I'm no perfect musician. But this is a challenge. Yeah. Stuck in your room. I sometimes don't see people for days here. <laughs> you know? I know. I not a single person. <laughs> and, and that's weird. <laughs> and there's so many challenges that we all know we're going through. But I think it is a testament if you keep working on something, even if it's not good work, if you keep focused on something, it is a testament to your commitment. Oh man, yes, I I think so. Yeah, you know, and and you're talking about like like your musicianship and how you approach it, but you know, there there's something else that I'm I'm sure that you will agree on. Mm -hmm. um, the that that passion, that love uh, for music, should not be uh, just lost in these days of pandemic. You see, in these days, we need to somehow transmit that interest that that the true love of music into your peers or Absolutely. your students if you have students but into your peers and colleagues that no 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 we can do it we yeah. can it's fine it's fine because music is much more than just playing you you know that much, right? more. much more than just playing and learning your repertoire or preparing your recital it's much more than just putting a recording you know it's it's something so personal it's so like it talks to your heart it talks to your brain to your mind and we cannot just lost that right now no. we need to like i don't know to dig in even deeper maybe to know what yeah. what the music how music is important in our lives I completely agree, man. You brought up an interesting point of like, you know, trying to encourage our peers. And yeah. that's something that I think is a really important but really dangerous subject. Oh, yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard to go. It's hard to incite people, you know. And, and I mean, like, I go to rehearsal and I see you there once in a while, most of the time, actually. And I'm like friendly and trying to talk to people, trying to like bring the mood up, like actively trying to like bring people up a little bit. And there is this big pressing down yeah. of energy and you don't want to tell people that they can't experience that no, 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 because no. and I want to reiterate my points for a second there like when I was talking about this is a challenge through COVID yeah. one of the challenges that I learned one of the things I learned through this challenge was that I need to take a break sometimes Yeah. and if you just took a break during COVID good for you Yeah. yeah. if that's what you needed good for you yeah. it's a strange one you know like we can't change people we can try to inspire people. Yeah. But there's this amazing quote. I can't remember his name. He's like a self-help guy, I think. Uh, but it's that inspiration is like taking a bath. Mm. You must do it daily for, okay. the, for the required or for the desired result to yeah. keep itself up. Yeah. And I think it's true. Yeah. Well, now that we're talking about inspiration, I remember you specifically you that you're interested in, in Latin American music I love Latin music man are you familiar with Silvio Rodriguez 
the Cuban no. uh, singer. Well, he's man. If, if I think you you will have to listen to him. He's one of the greatest singers uh, from Latin America. Uh, amazing poetry, mm -hmm. incredible music, and it really talks to your soul, you know. And he has a one of his very famous songs is uh, El Unicornio Azul, which means the, the blue unicorn. And and he talks about, oh, I lost my blue unicorn. I don't know what it is. I'm so sad, whatever. And and you are wondering, what does he mean by the unicorn, the, the blue unicorn? And then you realize that he actually is talking about his inspiration. Wow. So he made a song, beautiful song, yeah. a masterpiece, but of how he lost his inspiration. inspiration. That's amazing. It, wow. So now that you talk about that, yes, yes, through even in the loss of inspiration, you can find absolutely that inspiration back. Absolutely. Oh. That's so cool. Where do you... You know, man, I, I don't, I don't want to just, I don't want to just shower you in compliments because I think that's an ugly way to, to have a conversation. But I love the way you make music, man. Oh, thank you so much. The few times I've heard you, and, and it's usually when I really get a chance to listen to you is when you're sitting in the concert master seat. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate the way that you approach music, and and frankly, you got great technique. You you make a beautiful sound, but Thanks. the way you approach and the reverence you give to it. To me, is really amazing. Where do you on those days where the blue unicorn's gone? <laughs> yeah. What what do you? What works for you? Oof. Wow. Um, maybe this is going to sound uh, cheesy, you see, but it's the truth. It has happened to me. When I'm when I'm down like that, I always find myself going back to music but maybe not music that I'm familiar with mm -hmm. maybe I just follow something that you mentioned before the intuition I follow my intuition if I feel sad I'm sad and I'm not going against like oh no I, I, need, I need to be happy no 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 no. I feel sad and I go into sad music yeah. you see or sad readings or sad stories totally. and then I realize Oh, maybe I'm not that sad, or maybe oh, I'm like that guy. You see, yeah. And I have some connection with a piece of art of a person, of a text, or whatever. But mostly, I find myself listening to music, and and it it could take some a couple of days. Mm -hmm. It could take a week. You see, like I cannot listen to violin right now. I need to listen to to a human singing, you see, yeah. to a singer and talking about uh, any topic. It could be any topic. Um, so, oof, I, I, as musicians, I think we're very closed in a bubble, mm -hmm. right? And, and even in that bubble, a small portion of, of life, I find the answers. I think the answers are in the music itself. I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not saying that it's for everybody. Maybe you find the answers um, 
playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards, you see? <laughs> or you find uh, something better. Blue Eyes White Dragon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or maybe, I don't know, in alcohol, you see? I don't know. Absolutely. Sometimes you just need to sit down at the drink, man. Yeah, or with friends. Yes. Or talking with friends, or even with your family. Uh, I, I find it in fitness sometimes. I yeah, love exercise. I love exercising, and, and uh, whether... Often for me, I find when I, when I have a challenge with like not wanting to do something, there's, there's something in my mind that I haven't come to terms with. There's something I haven't bellied up to the bar and like really had a conversation with myself about. And there's something for me about running. Oh. I don't always yeah. love running, although I don't mind it as much as some people do. But if you, if you run five kilometers, which is super, you can, you know, maybe not get off the couch and do it, but you can do it, in a, give yourself a month, you can run a 5K. Especially if you don't bring music with you, which I usually do, you're gonna go through some shit on that five kilometer run, man. <laughs> you got nothing but discomfort, heavy breathing, and yourself. Oh yeah. And you may as well forget about the heavy breathing because it's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. For me, there's definitely definitely something about athleticism that unlocks my ability to be inspired again. It mm-hmm. opens me up. It. it I think that the mind and the body are very intimately connected. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. the nervous system starts really arguably at the brain, not really, yeah, but, yeah. and goes through the rest of the body. And I think if we stimulate the whole body, our brain works better. Oh, it's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. But I know what you mean, man. So you bring up, uh, did you have something else you were going to say? I didn't mean to cut you off if you had another point to make. Well, um, I just, I could continue with the intuition that yeah, you bring please, up before, please, please. you know, uh, you know how sometimes uh, there's people that is so into feelings and they explode or they are bad yeah. or they do weird things and you imagine and you said to yourself, oh, this guy is not thinking properly, right? Or you have the opposite, the very cold people that is always very calm and they are very logic, you see, and, and you need... And you have the other people that said, oh, you need to be balanced, right? You need to be balanced between your feelings and your, and your logic. And, and then you have this other concept, which is, which is the intuition, you see? Which is not, you're not going by your feelings and you're not going by logic, but it's something that you feel somehow. And of course, you won't do something stupid for yourself. You won't kill yourself yeah. it could it happen hopefully it does not. happen but, but if you're like responsible enough you could go by those that feeling that you have the intuition and then you will realize that oh my god it was good that decision that I took was actually good yeah. but I'm, I'm not sure if it's logic enough you see yeah. it, sh- it was just made by my intuition by something that I feel or thought uh, it's the same with music man. when you play something yeah you have your all the rules all the theory all the technique I have to play by, like this blah 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 and then there's something else that is like guiding you through the interpretation that oh but I need to do this but I don't know why you see man, just follow that yeah. just follow that and that's very incredible because if you if you 
if you apply those things to your life, you will see how you're kind of following what you are, you see. That special thing, energy, uh, persona that is in you, that is not just abided by, by feelings or logic. No, it's actually you, the decisions that you take. It's the same thing when you approach music and you take musical, artistic decisions, you see. Absolutely. So you see, my my bubble musician uh, life, it goes again in the yeah, same way. It Everything is, is connected. You it see? is never. It's the snake biting its tail, man. Yeah. Yep. 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 Intuition is an interesting one, right? I think a lot about. I'm writing music again. I showed you some of it earlier. The, mm -hmm. This music for this band that I'm in, and I'm writing music with people, and I'm playing music at a pretty high level for me at least, mm -hmm. uh, on my instrument, both oboe and, and, and guitar and bass and voice and stuff. And it's been really interesting to decide who I'm playing and who I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. And I think if you write for yourself first, for whatever reason, it tends to not only give me the most value, I think, but I think it usually results in the best piece of music because I'm not second-guessing every thought that I have. Exactly. You know? Exactly, yeah. There is a balance to intuition, of course. Yeah. I think both of us would agree that you cannot let your intuition run rampant yeah. or you will play Mozart like it's Brahms. Yeah. And that could work, but it usually doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, intuition is an interesting one, not only as a musician, but in life. I mean, how many times did people say, go with your gut? Yeah, yeah. And how many times have you done that and it worked out? Yeah. How many times have you done that and it didn't work out, though? Yeah. I mean, I've had it happen both ways. But there's something, and I see it in the way you play, man. There's something about a musician who trusts themselves and allows themselves to be in the music that is attractive. It is desirable. It brings you to the person. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think we're very, very elegant instruments, our bodies. Yeah, yeah. And we're able to pick up from tiny, tiny shifts in the body, in the, in, in the face, whatever, inconsistencies, discrepancies that then we lose trust in. Yeah. You know? And there's something about someone who's on stage who has followed their intuition to get onto the stage, has followed their intuition on the stage, and who is allowing themselves to do their job to the best of their ability, to the way that they can make the music sound the best for them. That I think might be, at least in this pool that we're in, uh, Canadian music, uh, from what I've seen so far. I don't know about America, I don't know about Europe. But I think it might be one of the keys to being able to do it well. Mm -hmm. I really think it is. You look at a comedian. Yeah. If they go up on stage and they talk, which, man, what a gig. Weird gig. Yeah. But uh, they talk for a living... And they say funny things. But the really funny music comedians, I don't think are up there trying to make you laugh. Uh -huh. I think they're up there and they've been working on things that make them laugh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that is the root. <laughs> if they're not thinking it's funny, it's not going to be funny. And if we don't think it's good music, it's not going to be good music. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Coming back to that concert that you're mentioning... Uh, when I play as a concert master in, yeah, the, yeah. in the Western Symphony Orchestra, um, you know, uh, 
I was happy. I was happy. I was excited, truly excited, uh, because we are in a very difficult time and have the opportunity to play with people. Of course, if it's different, you know that we were all separated and yeah. and this the setting was a little uncomfortable and no public. But still, it's, it's, it's the, that wonderful opportunity to play. And people were watching online. Oh, yeah, it, you're yeah. true. It's true, it's true, yeah. yeah. Uh, you Francisco watch? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's, he's very busy right now, but yeah, I hope so. Um, but, well, I don't really remember. I'm telling the truth. I, I mean, I you. was enjoying the moment. I, I didn't remember. I don't remember right now what I did. But, but I was enjoying the music. I was just enjoying playing with people, even though, as you said, there are some people that is was still like focusing a lot in the music or mm -hmm. was nervous or was just disconnected at all. Yeah. But me, I was, I was enjoying. It's a really amazing thing that we do, and for someone who doesn't play in an orchestra, let's let's buff it out a little bit. It's an incredible thing to be in a group of eighty plus people. Sometimes. Oh yeah yeah all making the same sound. I mean, you know what it's like? Everyone knows what it's like to sing. A lot of people know what it's like to sing with an instrument. Or at least to watch someone do it. Yep. And there's an amazing thing that happens when two people put their brains together to make a sound. And I mean that. I don't mean music. I mean a sound. Yeah. Like when you have two, like a saxophone and a trumpet and they blend their sound together and they've made a new sound because there's now two instruments instead of one. Now, when you have 80 people, that becomes unbelievably nuanced and subtle and exquisite and, and like the finest of wines that only a true sommelier can really break down what's in it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? It takes someone with serious skill to manage an orchestra. Okay. And in a student setting, you're dealing with people like me when I got into university. Like me when I got into university. I could barely read rhythm, man. I was playing Adam Gorb, which is this crazy hard new music stuff. I was shitting all over it. To be quite frank, I did a horrible job. You know? And then you have someone like you sit down who's, who's had a lot of experience from a young age, very capable, explored their instrument, explored styles, and is sitting there playing, not an issue to play the repertoire, just a matter of let's make the music, let's make sure my technique is in shape so I can play this, but you can do it. I mean, you're talking about a big disparity of skills from me in my first year to someone who's in their graduate yeah. studies, which is amazing. I mean, it's a really amazing opportunity on both sides of the aisle, especially for the guy who just started. Yeah. To look at someone and go, oh, especially the same instrument. Like, I think of a violin yeah. section in a school. Someone like you and someone who's just basically Sorry only been playing the violin a little while. What an amazing opportunity to see someone close to their age playing like they are attached to the instrument. It's incredible to have that, that visual to say, oh, I could do that because he's doing it. He started at nine. I started at 12. Okay, well, I can catch up, you know. And then in, in, in your case or it, it, perhaps to a lesser degree in my case as a master's student playing in the wind section, I mean, there is a certain level of leadership that you are that is placed upon you simply because you are a grad student mm -hmm. um, not that you're a better musician no. absolutely not it does not mean that but it does offer you an opportunity to take a leadership role yeah, yeah. you've been around a little longer you've had a couple more trips around the sun yeah 
and hopefully you get the opportunity to kind of take this leadership position, which I think you do very well. Um, what's it been like for you in a grad program as a, as a DMA here? Like, what, what, what was the difference from your undergrad or, or from your master's degree? Well, you know, I, I realized that people, young people, is like a little more afraid of talking to me. <laughs> I'm, me, myself, my, my mind, is it still the same guy? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> elementary school. Yeah, right? man, me too. I'm so dumb sometimes. Yes, oh yes, my yes. God. But now I realize how people that is starting a, a bachelor's or whatever, they just, they're kind of afraid, like, oh no, it's the guy that is doing ADMA right now. Mm. We cannot talk to him, like, yeah. so easily, you know? Yeah. And it's not true. They can talk to me and yeah. they can say stupid jokes. Yeah. Because I'm kind of a goofy one. You're a goofy guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I always say like jokes and and I play just whatever and, and I enjoy. I enjoy a lot being with people. Yeah. And but yeah, I I now realize that they're a little more afraid and they're kind of closing yeah. uh, their musicianship or their personalities, like being more uh, serious and mm. whatever. <laughs> Trying to be professional. Yeah, trying to be professional. Which is good. I mean, frankly, this is the place to practice those yes, things. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But always, when I feel that, I always try to just break that barrier as soon as possible. And they can feel very comfortable yeah. like talking to me. Because, believe me, I don't care. Yeah, it's, man. You're here to make I music. don't care. Isn't it care. weird that we put these hierarchies in a musical setting? Because it, it can't be that. I don't think it can really be that. Because, I mean, hey, I don't know what it's like to be in a string section. That seems like a different setting. But, it is, it is, yeah. But as a wind player, everyone sitting in that ensemble, in the orchestra, the wind section, is an equal part member. Yes, yep. sometimes you're accompaniment, sometimes you're soloist, and sometimes you're not playing at all. But there is no more important player unless you're literally a soloist in front of the ensemble. Mm -hmm. And it is strange that I, I don't think you can really, I don't think you can have a good conversation if there's a power, strong power dynamic. And, and in music, we've talked about this, music is language. There are things we try to express. You know, it's funny, we, we, I love language. I think it's fascinating. And you speak more than one language, which is amazing I'm jealous I'm, I might get there one day right but like our vernacular which changes and it's the same language yeah. now you start talking about different languages and the way that we make sounds to try and get something across like Franklin Franklin Franklin, 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 Franklin. I can say your name a hundred ways but you're going to get the point that I'm trying to say your name I'm getting I'm using this blunt instrument of English through the synthesis of, of a Mexican name and trying to get my intention across that I want your attention, yeah, yeah. right? I think it's very similar with music. I think music is a language. It is. Yeah. And I don't think any musician's going to argue it. I'm only really speaking like this because I, I've gotten here and I, I don't know how to stop. Uh, but no, I'm just teasing. But I think if you get into a setting of music making and you establish a above-below dynamic... Even with a conductor sometimes. Now, they need to do that because, like, like I said, there's 80 people and they need to manage the crowd. But I, I think you really undercut 
the level of music you could make because yeah. there will be a discomfort likely or resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think you're right. Um, I think it's important to have those hierarchies, but just for terms of organization and, and, but nothing else. You know, yeah. I don't think students should be afraid of, of ask to ask questions or mm. to do something different. Um, I don't believe, I'm sure you, you will understand, I don't believe in the idea of just teaching somebody a, a certain technique and, and you need to play this repertoire and you need to do this because you will be a professional musician and that's all. Yeah. Like, that's called like the, the, the banking system of education, yes. right? Yeah. Just, just another procedure, another guy and bye-bye. I, I think completely the opposite, you know. And I'm not again. Of course, the people needs to know stuff, right? Totally, yeah. But the pedagogical approach that we should have, especially as artists, as musicians, is more liberating. You see, because people come uh, with a lot of wrong or n not that correct ideas of music or or whatever, and they and you as a teacher, you need to destroy those like bad conceptions of something mm -hmm. and you need to realize no man you're free you're an artist you're completely free your yeah. decision should, should be ah oh, just as big as the sun you yeah, see yeah 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 so it's about liberating people liberating people yeah. and you know this is not my idea yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Is, we stand is, upon the shoulders of giants. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, of course, as Newton yeah, 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 said. Yeah. Yeah, as Newton said. Uh, but this is this comes from the pedagogy of liberation. Uh, um, this uh, Brazilian, I think it's a Brazilian uh, pedagogue, very important. Um, uh, I don't remember right now his name, but he's a very important guy. And, and, and I very, very like his approach to education. And I always try to maintain those ideals in in my teaching mm -hmm. when I have the opportunity to yeah. teach uh, or when I have the opportunity to talk about music like it's not about uh, making people be or play in a certain way it's like actually liberating people from any preconception of music or idea of I cannot play this or I should I play this before that or stuff like that. Yeah. See. So yeah, in an orchestra, man, of course we need to play together. Of course we need to do certain things together, but it shouldn't be a military thing. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, I agree. Uh, it should be completely uh, open and artistic. You see, and liberating. Liberating. It should be a, a liberation army. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. That. That's. I could not agree more. I really can't. What's it like? Because, you know, you're talking to a dumb oboist who doesn't know what it's like to play in a string ensemble. Okay. Tell me the difference between playing with just strings, which you did in the last concert, playing with strings and winds, brass, percussion. Oof, uh-huh. And then I want to know about each, like what it's like to lead a section or to be in a section of okay. string players. Oof, um, Okay. So, you know, I will start with the last one. So if you, when you're a leader, of course you need to know your music 
you need to know your stuff you need to study you need to resolve some technical things before going into a rehearsal so you can help people you see but the I, I, I would say that it's very important to be a kind leader of course because again it's not about imposing your whatever well, you think is your yeah. musicianship or your musical ideas it's about encouraging people to play with you you see it's it's more something like that so you need to move a little bit more just to give entrances and yeah, that of kind of technical stuff but you with your sound you need to invite people to play with you mm -hmm. uh, and when you talk to people you need to be kind and understand them is music is not about like a a job and you said play like this and play like that no no play with me you see play with me and mm -hmm. let's enjoy this together so that's interesting you know because we've all played solo repertoire anyone who's been through the academy to any degree has played solo repertoire yeah what's it like you know, because let's say you're playing Scheherazade or something, big yeah. violin parts, right? Uh, yeah. uh, and there are solo sections, but yeah. you do a lot of leading of the the first violins, right? Yeah. How do you do that? Like, like really, <laughs> like down to the, the minutia as, as, as you see it, how do you respond and promote music making? <laughs> Well, with a piece like that, I think when you have the solo, you need to approach it like a big solo. You see, like totally. it's something that you will study a lot and something that you will play, like if you were uh, playing a concerto. You mm -hmm. see. Um, so you're by yourself. But again, every single note you play, every single note should be as inspiring as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't... I hate the idea of having some people in the back thinking, uh, I I could play better than him. You know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, or, no, 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 no. Yeah. I know that you can play better than me. You see? Yeah. I know that. And I, it's not a problem. But just try to, with those sounds, with that playing, with that way that I'm approaching that music, just come with me in the same ah, sensation in the same feeling in the same with the same idea yeah you see that's the part that is different from from just being the soloist totally and I, oh, I play a beautiful sound a strong sound and the people in the orchestra just just play like extremely boring you know? yeah but now in pieces like that you need to be like again inviting people and, and inspiring people to make music with you you see mm -hmm. and now when you're leading the section how oh. do you do that I don't know man. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't really know uh, of course in terms of like how you have to play well you have to play like stronger you have to play uh, you need to move a little bit more but at the same time you need to be calm you see, calm, calm, and, and, and responsible, and be, try to always listen to your section, you mm -hmm. see. Uh, 
sometimes they teach you, right, that no, you need to follow the concert master as much as possible. He's the leader and do whatever he does. True, true. But you also, you as a concert master, you need to listen to them, you see, because you will realize the difference between the two of us, between the, the concert master and the section, and you will be able to actually uh, do a special things to play together. Totally. Right? Uh, and I don't know how to, how to like, to like explain that, but even with a small smile, it's enough, you see. If you smile to your peers, it's enough like, okay, let's play together. But if you look at them, like just with your eyes, let's play together. But I'm I'm always try to be a very very easygoing guy. I don't I don't like to impose anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if they have an idea, if someone has like an opinion that is different to mine, I always listen to it very carefully, mm-hmm. and I think about it. You see, and and because I know that there they have, there is some truth in what they think. Absolutely. You see? there is a reason and I need to understand why they think yeah. that way but well uh, and like following I would imagine like following the intuition when you make music oh yeah your section I mean there is a in a good chamber group for example there is a group think that begins to form yeah I would imagine it would be the same in a, in a violin section oh it is yeah. it is and, and again when you play in a section like in first violin second violin you cannot play as a soloist Mm-hmm. You cannot apply the things that you learn in your violin lesson. So like big sound yeah. and a lot yeah. of vibrato. And no, no, no. You cannot do that. You, you can. You need to. It, that's not the word, but like uh, humiliate yourself. Like mm-hmm. no, not playing just by yourself. Yeah. Just try to blend, blending yeah. the sound with everybody. And that normally that means that you will play softer. And Absolutely, you, and you will yeah. do a small things, so you're not play core like, like all your energy possible. No, no, no. You will play another way. Yeah. Most of the time, it's just softer, and and like more blended tone. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, you know, we talk about in in the winds a lot, especially when you're talking about dynamic. If you want to get a big loud sound, you don't play big and loud. You play big and full-bodied. You don't play loud uh-huh. because you need to stay, especially at our level, at a student level, you need to stay in tune because an in-tune chord is much louder and much more nice to listen to yeah. than a chord that's really loud and mostly in tune. <laughs> yeah. You know, it truly it makes a massive difference. I, I, I imagine it's very similar with the strings. Too. Similar. So when you're in the section, yeah. when you're in the back of the section, let's say, yeah. And you're, especially with COVID, you're like a league away from the concert master. What is that? What are you doing exactly? How do you connect to them? Oh, man. Very difficult. Right now, I, I'm not sure if I can answer that, but yeah. but it's very difficult. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm doing something, you know, right now in yeah. the COVID situation. I can tell you that, I, of course, I have played in the back tons of times. Yeah. And, and, and it's horrible. It's very difficult to follow even the conductor because yeah. you're so far away. And, uh, 
it feels that you're always behind. There's a lot of weird feelings. Man, I feel so bad for horn players. They're always so far away, and their instruments are probably the hardest in the ensemble. Yes, I absolutely. I mean, oh my god. Yeah. And yeah. their bells face in the other direction. I mean, it's a nightmare. These poor <laughs> bastards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Being in the back in any orchestra is very difficult. I think it's the most difficult thing to do. Being in front? It's pretty easy. Very in comparison. Easy. Very easy. I mean, it's a little... You, you, need, you have more responsibilities, right? Because mm -hmm. the conductor will hear you clearer. <laughs> Clearly will hear Absolutely, you. Absolutely, man. But it's like you're playing an oboe or something. They always hear those bastards. <laughs> yes. God. But, but, if, but again, being in the back... Yeah. Wow, it's very difficult. I think being in the back can cause some problems, by the way, because you get used to play so soft mm -hmm. because you want to listen to the concertmaster or your peers be in front of you, and you start to do, you start to play so soft, and that can cause like technical problems in you. Totally. But yeah, it's another approach that is very difficult. But again, everything is about listening, listening. And a little bit, of course, of watch. if you watch, if you can watch something, yeah. do it. Well, especially when it comes to being in the back. I mean, latency is a challenge. We know this very well in COVID. When you're so far away, he makes a sound. I see his bow. Like when I play in an orchestra, especially if I'm the principal, I don't. If I'm sitting second, I look at the principal. I, I look at the conductor a bit. If I'm playing principal, I look at the conductor, but I mostly look at the concert master. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I truly think a good... My my experience, a really, really tuned-in wind player is looking at the concert master at least as much as the conductor. Interesting. And also wow. their colleagues. Because, man, especially with COVID, we're so far away. Like, think of the opera. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there were times when I was, like, 50 feet away from the concert master. <laughs> 50 feet away? I'm playing first oboe. We're playing duo lines together. You know, yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. we're doing duets. <laughs> And so, literally, man, like, I'm not joking you, um, I think of the opera, uh, you know, we did, we did, uh, uh, Cosi Fantuti. Yes. Um, there's a couple times where, oh, I can't really think. I'm doing that with the tenor and the first violins. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I'm like going cross-eyed trying to look at both of them because I'm so far away. If I wait to hear them, it's too late. Yeah. So I'm literally looking at the tenor. I'm, I'm seeing the back of his head and I'm seeing his fucking jaw and neck shift up and down. I'm like, that's the next note. That's the next note. That's the, the top note. Da, 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 da. And really like when the beginning of a piece, for example, when we did the Egmont Overture in this oh. last concert. When it came to the like literally the whole ending, I'm looking at you or whoever it was that was playing concert master. Yeah. I think it was you in that, right? It was me. Yeah. yeah, because I can see your fingers go, and I think partially, you know, it might might help that I played in bands for so long and I watched people's chord hands to switch notes, but. I'm watching your fingers and your bow. And the second I see that bow lift off the string, I know I have to start releasing the note, but it can't stop because your instrument is going to keep ringing and mine isn't. So oh, it's like wow. these tiny little subtle changes to what I'm literally visually looking at that only time can develop your skills in. And I'm not amazing at it. I'm getting better, right? 
it's those little things that like from at least from my position in the ensemble you begin to realize like wow this is really complex yeah and when it works when you've done it a bunch in rehearsal it's you don't even think you just do it you allow yourself you allow your intuition to guide you yeah because you know we talked about meditation yeah earlier and i know you like meditation i love meditation i love yoga and I think there is a level of the human body that we simply do not understand. I think science cannot explain everything around us. It's yeah. trying real hard, and it's doing a great job in most cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there's a certain aspect, maybe down to like body language, mm-hmm. social cues, mm-hmm. that you just have to allow yourself mm-hmm. to participate in. And mm-hmm. if you overthink, you know, I wonder if maybe you begin to deaden your ability to do it effectively. Mm-hmm. It really is interesting. Yeah. Do you mind if I go to the bathroom, man? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just take a quick break. I'll pause this and we'll, we'll jump right back in. Yeah.